0: Shabbat shalom, everyone, and mazel tov. Can you hear me clearly? Yes? Got thumbs up all the way in the back. Excellent. OK, thank you. So uh, there's a whole genre of literature which could be summed up as saying what we think about when we talk about something. So for example, the great American author Raymond Carver wrote a highly regarded series of short stories called What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. If you haven't read it, I suggest you read it. There was another book that was written about 10 years ago by Franklin Foyer called uh, What We Talk About When We Talk About Anne Frank. And all of this genre is essentially to suggest what we already know, and that is Often, when humans talk, we don't always communicate what we mean. Not surprising because we get into fights with each other all the time because we don't understand the intentions behind the things we say. I say one thing, you understood it as something else, you get upset, and then I have to explain what I actually meant. And for the record, you probably know not to do this, if you really have something important to say to somebody, don't text it. And even better, don't even call the person up. Best, make an appointment to see them, like what humans used to do about 10 years ago. And talk to them face to face. So this morning, with the few moments that I have, I want to add my contribution to the genre of what people talk about when they talk about something. So this morning I want to talk to you about what Jews talk about when they talk about the Holocaust. What ignited this idea in my mind, because I actually wanted to talk about something entirely different this Shabbat morning, but of course the news always gets in the way, was in the middle of this past week, The president of the Palestinian Authority was in Germany. His name is Mahmoud Abbas. And Mahmoud Abbas suggested clearly that the Holocaust, the way it's represented, is a lie. And as a result, the Jewish world exploded. For that record, by the way, you should know that diminishing the impact or distorting the historical truths of the Holocaust in Germany is a criminal event. And a criminal investigation has been opened up by the federal prosecutor in Berlin. The Germans take Holocaust very seriously. The Jewish world kind of exploded in two interesting ways. But before I get to that, I want to say to you that Holocaust distortion is one of the most venal kinds of anti-Semitism. And the way that you could probably best understand why it's so venal is is to try to suggest the following concepts. If someone was the victim of a violent assault, god forbid, and then the perpetrator or others came to them and said, you know what? that didn't happen. You weren't attacked. You weren't raped. It never happened. The impact and damage it has on the victim is unique. Because when you deny someone the truth of what they've suffered, it's a double injury. They've not only suffered the crime of what was done to them, you're then denying them the understanding that they're deserving of justice of what was done to them. And so one of the most venal kinds of anti-Semitism is Holocaust denial, Holocaust distortion. Uh, It wasn't six million, it was a million. There were no concentration camps. They were holding places. Most of the people who died died from typhus. They weren't murdered. The lies go on and on and on. For the record, the Holocaust, is de facto the most researched historical event in the history of humanity. I can drop the microphone and walk off right now. So the Jewish world kind of blown up in two different ways. I'm going to open a door, in case you're not aware of this, to show you that the Jewish world is not as simple as you think. In the English media, particularly in North America, there was outrage. You could hear on Twitter and on news reports, newspapers online, you could hear the writers screaming through the words. This is all written, by the way, but you can hear them screaming. And then in Israel, there was disgust as there was out of Israel. But then one of Israel's foremost writers on security matters, who by the way you probably know who it is because he's the executive producer of a Netflix series called Fauda. He went on to say that Abu Abu Mazen, this Palestinian president who denied Holocaust. He goes, it's disgusting and it's ridiculous, but Abu Mazen, who controls the Palestinian Authority, is responsible for the saving of tens of thousands of Israeli lives. But this man who spews this kind of disgusting anti-Semitic rhetoric, cooperates fully with the Israeli security apparatus to prevent and disrupt and deny countless attempts at terrorist activities from the West Bank against Israeli citizens. And he's been doing this openly for the past 20 years. And he asked the question, then how do you deal with somebody like this? And the answer, of course, has to do with what we talk about when we talk about anti-Semitism. Outside of Israel, we kind of know this really well, because Jews outside of Israel are nothing short of an oppressed minority. In Canada alone, I'm not gonna talk about the other countries, but in Canada alone, the Jews are the most highly attacked minority in this country, and the increases year after year year over year, excuse me, over the past number of years, have been double digits. There was an ultra-Orthodox Jew a week ago in Montreal who in open daylight was stabbed with a scissor. If you walk out and around as an identified Jew, as I do, there's a threat. There's a threat. Inside Israel... That's a different story. A few years ago I was with uh, some friends in Israel and we went to the beach in Tel Aviv. I highly recommend it as a diversion if you go to Israel. And uh, we were, I went off, he was like nine years old then, he's already a bar mitzvah boy. We were floating in the water and all around us on the beach and as we were floating in the water there were French-speaking people everywhere. And he says to me, Why are there so many French-speaking people here?" And I said to him, because all the French Jews have left France. Because five or six years ago there was a horrible attack of Charlie Hebdo, and then the attack on the kosher supermarket, and there were previous attacks against that, and being Jewish in Paris and in France is a lethal occupation. And many French people have stayed in France, but they have bought apartments and they have sent their children to live and study in Israel. And I said to him that it is anti-Semitism that has chased the Jews out of France, and out of England for that matter. And you know what he looked at me and he said? He said, mazant he said to me in Hebrew. What's anti-Semitism? To live in Israel is not to completely understand the impact of what it means and what it is to experience anti-Semitism. I'll share another story with you. This one is much older. It's about 20 years ago. A member of this congregation had taken a sabbatical to Israel. And he was an avid photographer. And he's talking to someone in the photography club that he's in. Once again, he's in Israel for the year. And this guy says to him, this Israeli says, you should go see so and so because he's a phenomenal photographer. So anyway, he makes an appointment to go see him. The guy warmly welcomes him in. He shows him his, his photography collection and all the time-lapse photos that he's done. And then all of a sudden, this guy, this photographer that the Israeli sends him to starts going off in this insane anti-Semitic rant. The Israelis, the Jews, the this, the that. Anyways. My congregant, who is a holocaust child, he's actually a holocaust survivor, a child holocaust survivor, didn't say a word, like he was petrified. He gets back home and he calls his Israeli friend. And he says to him, how could you have sent me to that guy? Did you know that he's a rabid anti-Semite? And the Israeli turns to him and says, yeah, but he's a great photographer. One of the things that we can certainly understand is that there are two ways of looking at a problem. Outside of Israel, when we face anti-Semitism, we express outrage because we are terrified. Because Jews have lived and continue to live under the specter of anti-Semitism. And it terrifies us because we feel weak in the face of it. But in Israel, when they feel threatened by anti-Semitism, they're not outraged from weakness. They're alarmed to defensiveness. It should be no surprise to us that the parting words of the Torah portion for this morning, which is filled with this cauldron of threats and ideas of what would happen to the people of Israel if they weren't faithful to God's covenant is the argument or the idea that the Jews would be dispersed throughout the world and they would be rendered helpless, that only outrage would be our tool to face the threats of the world. It's no longer the case. And so I want to just share with you one last idea, and that is uh, we're about almost 50 years marking the Yom Kippur War, which is a seminal moment in Israeli history. This past week, Amy Palanter, who was one of the commanders of six tanks that were on the Golan Heights Ridge overlooking the Syrians, six Israeli tanks and what became known as the Emek HaBacha, the Valley of Tears, held off an entire division of Syrian tanks, 182 tanks. If those tanks had broken through, Israel would have broken, because Israel at its widest point is only 12 miles wide. He passed away this on Wednesday, actually, of this past week, And his legacy and his generation's legacy is a reminder to us that in the face of threat, we respond not with outrage, but with strength. Shabbat shalom.